Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Six. And Father Boniface, I had this thought during last mass. Last mass was the May crowning at, at my local parish. And it, it's a starting point as a question, but but also as, as a broader thing. So obviously I know that technology back in Jesus' time was very different than today. He could not get in a car and boom, be in the next town. Lots of traveling and, and voyage there. So what I'm getting to this by pointing out that fact up front, which might seem a little weird and why are you saying that, is he was the breadwinner of his household, right? He, he didn't have any brothers. He, he was the one who, prior to his missionary work, was making the income for him and his mother. And his mom tells him at the wedding of Canaan, go start doing this. It's time for you to, in what we would call in today's terms, have a career change, change of a career path. And this is a very long way to get to the question of, was Mary with him throughout all of it, continuously traveling with him and his disciples? And if not, how was she taken care of? It was a very long way to get to that question, but I think it's important to set the the backlight there. Um, I I don't think we know that for a hundred percent, and so you can have a couple of legitimate responses to that. She shows up in the Gospels at certain times along the way, so at least partially, yes, for sure. Um, obviously she's all the way there at the cross and she remains in the Christian community. They know who she is. She certainly hasn't been left behind and she's not a stranger. And so from at least that much to she was always with the band of disciples in a way like the Chosen series has shown. I think that's been a very beautiful depiction of how Jesus's mother is kind of in the midst of things all along the way. And uh, I think that's a uh, very reasonable to to imagine as well um so yeah so some somewhere in that range um mm -hmm. in terms of how she's provided for yeah it, it's it seems pretty clear that that joseph is gone uh mm -hmm. since only mary ever shows up and jesus refers to his father and it's nobody's confused about that being joseph um and then obviously by the time that he's dying on the cross He'd never entrust her to the beloved disciple if he had either brothers or his father still alive. So there's, uh, you know, certainly some clear indications there. And then, um, you know, it's possible the uh, he was already teaching them to provide for the widows. And of course, uh, there's the gospel account of the widow of name who's just lost her only begotten son and is weeping as they're carrying her son on a funeral uh, bier into the town. And, uh, and Jesus, you know, sees her tears and ministers to her, raises her son from the dead. And uh, so there's a, certainly a symbol, you know, it's, a, it's a iconographic for Mary, who is the widow who would lose her son, who eventually would rise from the dead. And he would console her tears, you know. So anyway, there's a Jesus's provision for his mother in various ways. Obviously, he would be doing that. Now, probably he was doing that through the band of disciples. There's one note in Luke's gospel that there were a number of uh, women who accompanied him who, like the 
Mary, the wife of Chusa, who is the steward of Herod, who is the king of the Jews, who is the steward of Herod's household. So his wife was one of the disciples and probably had plenty of resources. So anyway, there were there were some rich disciples who were able to provide for them and, and probably providing for Mary as, as part of that. So anyway, that's a little bit of the stuff uh, around that, that question, which uh, let me just say a last point is there are uh, wonderful questions like that, that, that don't have sort of definitive and black and white answers. We use a little bit of reasoning. We get a little hints in the gospel and we can kind of tease out some reasonable possibilities. And then I always think of St. Bernard's question and then observation. He said, why doesn't God tell us so many of these details? And he said, well, maybe because he wants to reveal some of them to us personally. So I always like to invite people, you know, to enter into it. Uh, ultimately, uh, like we were talking about in the last uh, episode, you know, it's about bringing things into relationship with him. And so even these kinds of questions, always good to just ask him what was going on. Yeah, because I, I think that so often, and this might just be the, the Catholic school in me coming out, uh, when it was to read the, the gospel or the Bible, I guess, really any part of it. It was almost to do it like a book report. And if you saw the fourth grade version of me doing a book report, it was, I want to get this done as quickly as possible. And whatever it says, answer the question, I'm done. Like, I just don't want to do this. Because, you know, that's how I was as a student. And I know I'm not the minority in that candidate. So (laughs) as we get in here to adulthood, there is no one saying you have to do this or you're going to fail my class. You know, so so this is by nature a way of reading the gospel of the Bible in a way that's saying, we're not just trying to get through it to say, Hey, I did it. It's not to win an accomplishment badge on an app or something like that, but to actually think about it and to go contrary to basically everything else of our culture to go slowly and actually dive into it. You know, we, we live in a world where you're, you're, I've been told now by YouTube that a 12 second video is too long. Like, like, like what, <laughs> you know, like, like that's, that's the, the feedback they're giving to, to their shorts creators and to be conscious and say, you know what, I'm not going to try to, to just read this quickly. Um, I'm actually going to spend time. And when I get to a natural conclusion part, you know, this, this parable's over, or this miracle's conversation's over, to reflect upon what it was. And I think that that's something that obviously is is a skill. I mean, it, it's hard to put yourself outside of the current of normal life. And I bring in this all up because these are the kinds of questions that, that have come to me from this. And then just to put context in a little bit deeper, Every Mass, obviously, is just giving us a snippet of one of the Gospels. We're not reading the whole thing or even a whole chapter in most cases. So if that's how we normally do it on Sunday, why is that not part of our thoughts of when we're reading in general? You know, when we're just going through and really try to reflect upon it. Because as I've noted before, the Gospels are not written like modern writings. They invite you and kind of force you to think about extra questions. You know, most modern novels literally give you everything. 
um, except for the one little twist they want to have at the end. And that's almost the opposite of how the Cosmos. They tell you the point in the beginning. God is love. So now let's let's see see how it works. And I think that that's something that for modern Americans in particular, and being one of those, I think it's a challenge that we have. And how to to overcome it is a question that that I don't know how to teach very well. But I just know the problem. I know the answer. I'm not sure how I teach out someone how to get there. You know, that, that, mm-hmm. that's the thing I'm trying to figure out, Father. That's great. Well, I love uh, again. I love your your honesty and uh, realism and and practical uh, questions and approach. And I think those are really important things to ask. And those are things I love too. It's uh, not to not to get stuck in the clouds. Um, yeah. So what what is the there there are some I don't know different aspects of the of the gospel. Uh, one thing. One little key, I think, is to note that the gospel presumes the ordinary and then it reveals the extraordinary. Um, So it's not going to bother telling you what Jesus ate for breakfast. It just doesn't really matter. Um, He ate food. You know, Mm -hmm. if it doesn't tell you something that's normal life, presume normal life. And so and and that that helps us. That makes it not quite as culturally bound so that. As you know, life shifts. We just don't think about some of those things. Well, did he eat breakfast? Did he not eat breakfast? I don't. I don't know. We normally eat breakfast, so he probably ate breakfast or whatever. You know, it's like it doesn't really matter. It just fit it into what you know we know, and and don't get stuck on those kinds of details. And then, what it is revealing, it's revealing something extraordinary. And then, you know, you ultimately get over the scope of the gospel that it's revealing a pattern of living. Uh, I, I always like to go back to the prologue of John, the very first verses of John's gospel. In the beginning was the logos. Logos is the Greek for word or meaning or logic or purpose. So there's a pattern. There's a logic. There's a meaning. In the beginning, from all eternity, God already has meaning, purpose, logic. There's a pattern. And then through him, all things were made. So all, everything was made through that eternal pattern. And without him, nothing was made. So uh, everything was made through that eternal pattern. And what is that eternal pattern? Well, that's what's revealed through the pages of the gospel. That eternal pattern is is love. Well, what kind of love? Well, a love that gives everything, a love that sacrifices itself for the beloved, a love that saves, a love that heals a love that uh, is true and trustworthy. So the the love is the pattern through which everything is made. And basically what happens is as we, as we read about the pattern and then we start to internalize the pattern and we start to live out the pattern, then we start to see the pattern more clearly. And then we start to see in every page how Jesus is ultimately revealing the fullness of God's love. Which is, which is captured in his relationship with the Father and in the unity of the Holy Spirit. And so he's revealing that all throughout. And so the first time you read through the gospel, maybe if you're an astute student and you're praying, because ultimately we don't understand these things without the help of God himself. He needs to help us in the process. But we pick up on the pattern and then we reread the gospel and we see the pattern a little bit more clearly. And then we try to live the pattern a little bit 
And then we reread the gospel and we see the pattern that we've tried to live and we see how it's a little bit different than what Jesus did. And then we try to conform our living a little bit more to that pattern of love. And so, you know, that's the way that the gospel, and it does that without, without constricting our freedom. It doesn't impose itself on us. So it, it, it opens itself so that we can choose to, we see as much as we see. Those who have eyes to see ought to see. Let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And so Jesus has this way, like, as you're ready, you're going to pick it up more and more. Mm -hmm. And so we keep revisiting it because we keep becoming more ready. The more that we see it and believe it and live it, the more that we will see it and believe it and live it. And the, the deeper and deeper we go into it, and then it keeps again kind of echoing back into our lives. And so that's the, that's the pattern of reading the gospel. And that's different than any other kind of literature. There's mm -hmm. no other kind of literature that contains the eternal pattern by which all things were made. <laughs> and so there's no other literature that brings us into a real contact with the living God in the way that the scripture does. And I'm going to give an example off of how I think I did that. So in this episode early, you mentioned that Jesus did a whole bunch of really awesome and un unfigureoutable miracles. And the apostles were there with him. And they saw all of this extraordinary power, without a lack of a better way of saying it, happen all around them. Yet, when we get to the actual passion, only one of them stays, and that being John. The rest of them all bail in one capacity or another. My assumption is, is that the vast majority just run away as soon as the mob's there. And that Peter and John go to the various court trials. Um, maybe they're giving reports to the other ones and hiding or not. Either way, it, it, it just is so perplexing to me that you've seen this throughout. And I know that the the, the Gospels lately have been about the doubtfulness of, of um, Timothy in particular, or Thomas rather, sorry, about Thomas in particular and, and the doubt. And... That's kind of been been something I've, I've been trying to sit with is if you saw this work forever and you literally saw three people get rose from the dead by this person, why are you running away just because he got captured? Like all of the, the, the natural questions, and I get that that we use the passion with the, the bad thief as someone not respecting Jesus. Like if you're this good and you're God, why are you dealing with this? Why don't you take yourself down from this cross? Like you don't have to deal with this, fix it. Like you can fix everyone else, go fix it. And that's kind of what where, where I'm thinking here is you just seen all these questions that to me make sense. You know, it, it, granted they're from people who didn't understand the bigger picture. That guy's just probably met Jesus that day or, similar thereof and just heard stories of them but to me it's, it's the apostles and that shows to me at least how real it is how scared it sh it, it was and, and you know that fear didn't just get invented in modern times that it's been around forever and it's a natural human instinct that even when you had the greatest shepherd of all time and when he went away, fear took us over in ways that we couldn't describe. And to take that to the next step, 
that's the power of Pentecost that most people don't give credit for. Because it's not like the outside surroundings of everyone who just killed Jesus just disappeared 40 days later. Like, that's still the same context. And uh, maybe I'm, I'm going down a road that it's not even biblically correct, but that was kind of an exercise that I went through just doing what you articulated a few moments ago. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh... And that's what happens when we start asking those questions and kind of digging into it a little bit more and noticing the patterns of, of growth, of failure, of trust, of reconciliation, of, of love, and how those relationships grow and develop in the scriptures and with Jesus. And I mean, it's just amazing. We keep going back to these same scriptures and discovering new things. I, I was praying a little bit with Acts chapter 11, which was the first reading about a week ago. Uh, well, a couple of weeks ago by the time this plays, but, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff I never saw there before. Just amazing. Like, where, where was that from? There's a, there's one little phrase. I'm going to come back to what you said here in a second, but yeah, there's one little phrase, like when Barnabas saw the grace of God, he was, and then they use different words, glad, rejoiced, something, but the word is basically graced. When he saw the grace of God, he was graced. You know, that's what happens when we see it, like it falls upon us and transforms us. And, and one of the effects of its of grace is being glad and rejoicing. It, it, it brings us alive. It's a share in the life of God, you know? So it's like, yeah. And then he encouraged the brothers just to hold fast with all their hearts. Yeah, essentially, it's really a beautiful expression, but um. Yeah, when we see this uh, this particular pattern, it gives us so much hope that after all they had seen and heard, that they still had fear. You know, it's like, well, it worked for a while, but will it work forever? And that extrapolation is not obvious. It's not a mathematical deduction. There's nothing that says because, you know, X took place on day one, two, and three, it's going to take place on day four, five, and six. I mean, so he could do that a bunch of times. Does that mean he could do that forever? Like, well, maybe not. I mean, look, he just got arrested. He just got put to death. I mean, that's pretty scary to me. And, and it's precisely to convince us that even if the worst happens, God gets arrested and put to death. Even that is not the end. His power is actually greater than all worldly power. Worldly power will never have the last word. but. That's not something that the apostles figure out, you know, so much as they ha- it has to be given. And your point about Pentecost, that there's a, there's a limit to how much we can figure out. And I, I guess it was the last episode I said, you know, if you want to understand how, why that Christianity works is real, you got to step into it. Because without the Holy Spirit, we ultimately don't get it. Our minds are too limited, too darkened to see our, our experience is too broken. Our hearts are too hesitant. Um, but you got to step into it and start trying it. And that's where the Holy Spirit steps into it as well. And we do it together. And then we're enlivened by his life. We're strengthened by his strength. We're enlightened by his, his light. And, and then things change for us. And so yeah, Pentecost becomes a real breakthrough for in the face of all of our doubts and fears. Yeah, and that's just an amazing thought to have moving forward that you know we were not alone. You know, even whatever spot we're in, you know, some of those 
not some, almost all of the apostles are the most revered people when we look at the saints. And they literally ran away probably as far as they could and as fast as they could out of fear. And they had all of these same inclinations we had, and they had shortcomings too that didn't work out. That doesn't mean that we should quit or bury ourselves in guilt and, and, and hide, that this is actually part of life and God understands it. God understands it with the people that he chose while he was here. He understands it with what you're going through now. So, Father, I think that that's a great final thought here to to end today's episode upon. And unless you have a, a thing that you want to throw in here for the audience, well, perfect, fair enough. We ask all of you guys, please do like, subs- subscribe, share, all those big things that every other podcast is telling you to do because they actually do make a difference and help us. So we thank you guys all very much, and we will be with you again next week.